Well, last, uh, last week, uh, Pastor Brad kicked off our, our first Sunday for our series on, on discipleship. And uh, as he said last week, we, we came up with, with a number of themes and, and ways of, of approaching this topic of, of discipleship. Because one of the things that we found again and again is we would come across things written on discipleship and just it would never sit quite right. And a big reason being that it seems like all the time what happens over and over again is when we talk about discipleship, this idea of following Jesus, immediately what happens is, is we just start talking about what disciples do. So, for example, one, one area that, that's kind of big in, in this area of theology right now is uh, talking about disciples are, are people that, that sort of replicate themselves. So a disciple is someone who makes a disciple. Well, that's not helpful. <laughs> uh, how, how do I know what a disciple is if I'm just supposed to make more disciples? I, I never actually es- establish what I'm supposed to be making. And so what I actually did, kind of being a, a little bit of a, of a nerd uh, of when it comes to, to theology, is I said, okay, well, let's look up in the New Testament what is used to talk about what a disciple is. And the word that appears again and again throughout the New Testament to talk about disciples, the the word that's designated when you think of the 12 in the New Testament, or or even larger than just the 12, but you have the 72, or, or people from the crowds who begin to follow Jesus, they're all described with this same word that we translate as disciple. And here's what this word means in in sort of the standard lexicon that that most people use to to define what words mean in the New Testament. It says that a disciple is this, is one who is constantly, constantly associated with someone who has a pedagogical reputation or particular set of views. So in other words... To be a disciple of Jesus means that we are constantly associated with Jesus. It it means that every part of my life is wrapped up in his life. It means that who I am is shaped by who he is. So to be Jesus' disciple, first and foremost, means that my life, who I am, how I think of myself, is defined not by what I do... Not by where I'm from, not by what color my skin is, or my nationality, or anything like that. But first and foremost, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be defined by Jesus and what he says about us. And once we're first defined by Jesus, then we can start talking about what a disciple does. Then we can start talking about what does Jesus say disciples should do with their money? Their time. What does Jesus say about how disciples should should interact with politics? But before we get into any of that, we need to first talk about who Jesus says we are as his people. Now, Pastor Brad kicked us off last week talking about how Jesus and his life, not just his words, but his life, Everything about who he is says that we are people who are loved. People love so much that our God would actually come and dwell among us to take on our flesh. 
People who are loved so much that this Jesus would suffer and die for our sake. People who are loved so much that he would rise to bring us victory over death. Disciples of Jesus are loved people. And the thing that we're going to jump to then today is this idea that people who are disciples are people who are living. Now perhaps that that seems rather self-evident, right? We're all living, we're all here, we're all breathing, I hope we're all awake. (laughs) But I guess that kind of depends on how you define what it means to live. Right? If we define it biologically, it means that, that we're growing, that our cells are multiplying and, and dividing. It means that we have a heart that is beating and pumping blood throughout us. But that's not necessarily how we always define what it means to live. Consider how, how the American dream defines what living is. That ultimately living is is having, it's being able to get more and buy more and achieve more. But when we read the scriptures, neither of those things is really what living is talking about. One place that that talks about and examine what it means to live uh, pretty in-depthly is the book of Ecclesiastes. That's one of my my favorite books in in all of Scripture, which maybe tells you a little bit about my disposition toward life. And and what we see in Ecclesiastes is is Solomon, although although he's never named, he's called the teacher, this great wise teacher who is also a king of Israel, and we kind of can put two and two together that this is talking about Solomon. And what Solomon does is is he kind of goes and, and he asks this question of, of ultimately, what does it mean to live? What does it mean to have, have a good life, a meaningful life, a, a purpose-filled life? And so he examines all of these different places that we look to for life and meaning and, and purpose. And so he begins by, by taking a look at wisdom. He says maybe that, that life, maybe purpose is found in, in achieving great wisdom. But he finds that, that that kind of falls up short because the wise person ends up dying the same way that the foolish person does. So he says, well, well no, that, that must not be it. So then he turns from, from wisdom to, to pleasure and, and self-indulgence and, and he tries to find meaning and purpose this way. So he fills his life with food and, and drink and every single pleasure under the sun. And he examines this and, and he says, no, that, that comes up short as well. It's, it's useless. Because my end is, is still the same. Well, then he takes a look at, at sort of, maybe, maybe it's found in, in sort of wise and, and frugal living. But once again, he, he finds that, that the end, it, it's still the same. And so what Solomon does throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is he sort of takes every single place that we look for life and meaning and purpose, and he holds it up before the mirror of death. And he examines them in light of the end. And he finds that all of these places, they they come up short because regardless of what we do, the end is still the same. 
So which leads him to then consider really all of the things that we toil and labor for. And that's what we come to this morning in, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. You heard it read a, a moment ago. I'll read it again. Solomon says this, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. This is every Monday morning for me. I said, I hated all of my toil. Because seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because... Sometimes a person who is toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. So Solomon takes a look at all of the things that he's labored for, whether that's achieving wisdom and knowledge and intellect, whether that's, that's working hard to sort of build up my my household goods and, and all of the stuff that I have in life. And he says, hey, you know what's not right about all of this? Is I could work and I could labor and I could bust my rear end trying to achieve all of this stuff only to have to leave it to someone else. And that someone else might just be an imbecile and waste it in a day. And so Solomon looks at his labor and he begins to loathe it because he could toil for it only to leave it to someone who didn't. And so he then continues, he says in verse 22, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow And his work is vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. It says, ultimately, what do you get if you pursue your work and your labor and all of these things as an end in and of themselves? You know what you get? You get a sore back. You get tired, swollen feet. You get knee replacements. You just get sorrow and and tiredness. And ultimately, he's led to conclude that all of these things that we labor for, they're just vanity. In some translations, you you maybe read, they're meaningless. The the word here is, is the Hebrew word hevel. And what it very literally means is it's like vapor. Have you ever placed your hand over a pot of boiling water and tried to grab water vapor? What do you get? You maybe burnt. <laughs> you get nothing. You, you grasp after matter, but you come up with no substance. When we chase after our work, when we chase after wisdom, when we chase after all of these things and try to find life in them, we just come up with nothing. It's vapor, it's vanish, it's it's vanishing, it's it's vanity, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, and we never actually get to enjoy the fruit of our labors. 
Uh, just this, this weekend, uh, Pastor Brad, he, he sent me this article. And, and I think maybe just my sermons have been struggling. He thought I could use some help. <laughs> but, but it was an article. It was written by, uh, by William Shatner, uh, the actor. And, and what had happened uh, that, that prompted this article is, is he had been misdiagnosed with a very aggressive form of prostate cancer. And so he, he, achieved, or he got this diagnosis and, and suddenly started trying to like do all of these things to, to fight against it. And, and he was taking this testosterone supplement and he stopped taking it and, and realized that this was causing just elevated levels when he took this test. As we found out, he didn't actually have prostate cancer. But when he thought he had been given this death sentence, he suddenly started reflecting on life so much differently. And and started asking this question of of what does a a good, long, happy life actually look like? And and I want to share just what his conclusion was. And I, and I want to see if this sits well with you or not. Here's what it was. Don't die. <laughs> All right? So that's it. That's the secret. Simply keep living and try not to slow down. Now, now on the surface, I, I can't help but maybe kind of share that sentiment a little bit. That, that maybe part of the key to, to a meaningful, purpose-filled life is, is just simply not slowing down. If I keep, spend all my time thinking about the life that I want, I'll never enjoy the life that I have. But at the same time, I can't help but read this and think, you know, Will, you, you probably should read Ecclesiastes again. <laughs> because he's just doing the same thing that Solomon already did. Just saying, just, just look for enjoyment now. While failing to recognize that it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And we can pretend death isn't around all we want, but it doesn't change the fact that no matter how much we enjoy life or how little, the end for all of us is the same. It makes me think of, of there's a... Uh, a, hip, a Christian hip-hop artist by the name of, of Lecrae. Now, when I was growing up, Christian hip-hop just meant bad hip-hop. They just didn't say any bad words. But, but then I heard uh, this, this man, and uh, I was like, wow, he, he really knows his stuff. And, and one of his older songs, it, it ends with, with this line. He says, help me, Lord, before there's no time left. I'm not living, I'm just breathing to death. I'm not living, I'm just breathing to death. Ecclesiastes, and and really all of scripture, it invites us to ask ourselves that question. Are you actually living? Or are you just breathing to death? Are you chasing after wisdom and and intellect and all of this stuff just so that people will know you as as intelligent or well-read? 
Are you really living? Or are you just learning to death? Are we chased after pleasure after pleasure and and good food and and good drink and, and great experiences? Are we really living? Are we just eating and drinking ourselves to death? Or we try to earn and gain and buy stuff to fill our lives and and maybe think that things will be a little bit more meaningful if we just have a little bit more stuff. Are you really living or are you just spending to death? Where is it that we actually find life? Not just life in the I'm still breathing sense. But life as it was meant to be. Listen to what Solomon concludes. Verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Solomon's conclusion is that the only place that true enjoyment, true meaning and purpose in life can be found is in the one who made it. When we pursue all of these other things as an end in and of themselves, they will be simply vanity, vapor, striving after the wind. They will be useless to us. But if we learn to see all of these things as simple gifts from God, that's where all of these things, wisdom, pleasure, even the stuff we have, all finds its meaning and purpose when we see them not as an end in and of themselves, but as a gift from the hand of God. Because it's to the one who pleases him that he gives wisdom and knowledge and enjoyment. Which should perhaps cause us to ask, well then who is the one who pleases God? Is it the one who always does what's right? Is it the one who earns his favor? Now, you know better than that. Romans chapter 8, Paul says that those who are in the flesh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You, the one who pleases God, is simply the one who receives as a gift God's Spirit, who comes to Him in faith, 
who entrusts everything of his life to the good and gracious hands of God. The one who comes to him in faith is the one who pleases God. It's the one who by the Spirit of God confesses Jesus as Lord and trusts in him above all else. That's the one who pleases God and in turn receives wisdom and knowledge and life from his hand. This is in fact what the entire ministry of Jesus is all about. You read John's gospel over and over again. Jesus is saying, hey, I came to bring life. You heard it this morning from John chapter 6. Jesus is there and he's before the crowds and he's talking about how he is this bread of life who's come down from heaven. And he says in verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus has come so that you would have life. Not just breathing life, not just heart-pumping life, but real, meaningful, purpose-filled life. Life as God intended it. He was willing to enter into death so that you would actually enjoy life with Him. He rose victorious over the grave so that you also would receive life. Not just life right now, but life for all eternity. Jesus longs for you to know life. He doesn't want you to just spend your days breathing to death. He wants you to spend your days seeking Him. He wants your identity wrapped up in who He is, what He has done for you, so that every day you would be breathing not toward death, but toward life. So Jesus invites you to come to Him and have life. Solomon and the scriptures, they hold up all of these things before that mirror of death. And they all fail the test. Wisdom, pleasure, stuff, all of it comes up short. Except for one. It's the one who's entered into death and come out victorious. Don't spend your days just breathing to death. Instead, seek life. Come to the one who is Lord over life and death. Because in him, he promises that you are living. Not just right now, but for all eternity. Amen?